Season two of Love and Context podcast welcomes you. Get ready for engaging unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Our mission remains unchanged to explore the Bible through the powerful lens of love. In this new season, we'll embark on a journey together, unearthing fresh insights and gaining deeper understanding of how we can love God and live out our faith in practical ways. So let's dive into this season of Love and Context, where love and the context of the Bible intersect to transform our lives. Welcome back. <laughs> it's us again. You thought we were gone, but we're back again. <laughs> I am leaving that in there, by the way. Uh, right, welcome back to Love and Context Podcast. This is Ben. I'm Spencer. And we are joined once again by Captain Shelby, outranks her husband at the Salvation <laughs> Army. For, for, for now, for now. I mean, technically, you'll always be a little bit ahead of him, so I, I, I just like to remind you of that. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. years of years of service, that's all it is. <laughs> this is the first time you've been on a podcast, correct? Correct. Yeah. So we always tell people, because they're always really nervous, and we're like, listen, if uh, this is like the least nerve-wracking place to actually have to talk, we have we have like outlines, we have like the stuff we're talking about, I was like... <laughs> Uh, well, I shouldn't say the least nerve wracking. Like at home in the mirror to yourself is probably less nerve wracking. But fair, fair. Um, Laura, Laura Cronk was on here a few weeks ago, and she's like, "You didn't warn me about the video." Oh. And I was like, "I definitely did." <laughs> Fight. I'm just not looking in that general thing. Well, okay. So just so you know, I mean, I wore sweatpants, sweatshirt, hat today. Yeah. So no matter what, you're always going to look good sitting next to us. Fair enough. We've actually this is our third camera. The other two broke. <laughs> Where we started trying to do video, right? Second one broke when I had Bell's palsy. That was when that one broke, you know. Charles, well, yeah. I tried to smile at it, and they're like, no, mm. yeah, just in case anybody doesn't know what Bell's palsy is, it's a really super weird thing that, that they don't know why it happens, but like the right side of your face just crazy. stops. Well, it's right or left, it could be yeah. either, like it just stops working. Crazy, it was fun, yeah. So we are continuing on our mini series on women in the Bible and uh, women in ministry. Captain Shelby came back because we once again figured that it's probably not a great idea for a couple of middle-aged guys to try to give you the female perspective. <laughs> it just doesn't work as well. Mm-hmm. At least my wife tells me when I try to give her the female perspective that I'm wrong. So so, so today we're, okay. we're jumping into the lineage of Jesus, but just a reminder where we, we started in episode one of the series about what is the foundation of the book of Genesis and yeah. what did we talk about over the last year through Torah? And then we talked about, okay, well, who are these women of promise? You know, Sarah, Rebecca, right. Hagar, and and Rachel and Leah, like, right. yeah. working through promise. Last week, we talked about, like, women in uh, leadership roles. We talked about Miriam. We talked about Deborah. We talked about Esther. We talked about Hulda, which I love that name. Hulda. I use it every day. Hadassah and Hulda. What, what we mostly have seen is that throughout the Bible, God is using women to move forward his kingdom on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be exploring the lineage of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And hugely important because typically women are not mentioned in lineages. Right. Right. That's not a thing you would see in their culture. It's not a thing you'd see in surrounding cultures of the day either. It'll always be a male name, son of a male name, son of a male name, so right. and so forth. Right. So to have women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus yeah. is saying that God actually puts, God is actually putting immense value on women and who they are. Right. Right. Well, and actually in the gospel of Luke, it doesn't mention any women. It just goes sons or sons mm-hmm. on the way down. Right. Um, it do- actually doesn't even mention Mary. It, trans- it goes through Joseph in, mm-hmm. in the book of Luke. But one of the things about the gospel of Matthew that we've talked about in the past is that 
Matthew is written specifically to the Jewish people. There's right. conversation about whether or not the book of Matthew was originally written in Hebrew because uh, Eusebius, who is uh, one of the early church historians, notes that he talks about the gospel of Matthew being originally written in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. He was writing that around 303 BC, uh, AD, which had been considered closer to the time. Now, there's a lot of scholarly conversation about that. It would have made sense for Matthew to write it in Hebrew. If you want to believe that he was originally in Greek, I'm completely fine with that too. But it's specifically written to the Jewish people. It's from the outsider's perspective because who is Matthew? Tax collector. Tax collector. Not a well thought of dude, right? Yeah. And it's it's those that are considered to be out are being brought in. Hence why you also have ser- sermons like the Sermon on the Mount. Right. There. Blessed are all these people who you think are on the outside of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. God's working through them. There's right? the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Because it's written to Jews specifically, it would have made these names really, really pop out. Mm. Right? Because this isn't the way that you do genealogies. Why would you be listing the women in the genealogies? That's a very abnormal thing. Right. Yeah. It is, I mean, go look in Chronicles. You're not going to see it happen very often. And when it does, it's for something very specific. Like we talked about Miriam being a big deal. Right. Right. Well, let's go ahead and just jump into the first one here. I'm going to say it in the way that it actually says in the the Bible. It says, whose mother was Tamar. Yes. That's how it says. Okay. Yep. It's talking about Perez, whose mother was Tamar. So who is Tamar? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, who is Tamar? So, Tamar shows up in Genesis 38. So, Tamar has this relationship that goes on with the tribe of Judah, and specifically Judah's sons. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right? And basically, Judah's sons are like, we don't care about this woman. There's some pretty, there's some pretty, they're basically like, hey, we're just not going to give you a kid, but we're going to watch, you're going to just sit here and watch us extreat ourselves. Right. And just to show you how much we care about you having a child right and and to have a kid back in that day was huge right like to be able to bear offspring yeah well yeah like land property all these things are going to go through the the male lineage yeah right so a woman left without a child the male child is going to basically be left without somebody to take care of them exactly so in this story judah has separated from his brothers joseph is in egypt but he's separated from his brothers and he goes and he marries a canaanite woman which always ends well yeah right (laughs) A Canaanite woman named Shua, and they have three children. Mm-hmm. The oldest, it says that he gets a wife. So it's likely that Tamar is also not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So not only is a woman listed in the genealogy of Jesus, she's also probably not a Jew, mm-hmm. an Israelite, right? right. Mm-hmm. So she's a foreigner. Tamar's name actually means palm tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week we noted we were talking about the myrtle tree. Yeah, the myrtle tree for uh, Hadassah, mm-hmm. what her name means, and uh, how often women are named after after trees. Yeah. And legally speaking, back in this day, like you were like legally entitled to have to have kids. Yeah. So right. the the first it doesn't really like the, the text doesn't really explain. It says the first kid does evil mm-hmm. and dies. And God God eliminates him. Yeah. Right. We don't really understand what the evil is. But the way that it would work, because you have to have uh, a child, mm-hmm. is that then the next brother would come in and step in. And right. He would lay with his brother's wife so that she could produce an heir. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, that first child would belong to his brother, not to him, even though he was the one who actually sired the child. Right. Like that's how you make sure that you are able to keep these generations and, and these tribes going right. in, in this situation. But the second brother's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very awkward mm-hmm. turn of phrase. So just go to Genesis 38 and you can look it up yourself. Yeah, for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And so then he's he's eliminated. And the younger one is, is young. 
too young to actually take a take a wife. Right. And so Judah says, you know what? Let's just let's just punt this down the road for a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Except when the kid does become of age, he still doesn't come and lay with Tamar to produce a child. Right. Mm-hmm. So then there's this really weird story. So like by, by the way, this is in the lineage of Jesus, and people are mm-hmm. familiar with the story. So Judah is off on a trip, and Tamar realizes that he's never going to give her, her the third son to produce an heir. Right. So she decides to take matters into her own hands. Yeah. And she goes, and she dresses like a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And so Judah is at the city gates, and he goes, oh, look, a prostitute. Mm. And then he wants to take her and bed her, and then she requires him to give her certain things as a, a down payment of sorts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things that are definitely his. And so then he lays with her and he gets her pregnant and then she she bails and when he comes back to pay her, she's not there. But then later, I this says that Tamar has been with a she's committed herself for prostitution mm. and that she needs to be eliminated and that she should be she should be put to death. Right. Which, by the way, I really think that's interesting for Judah to be like, How dare my daughter in law, right after he just went and slept with the prostitute that like double standards here a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But then she says, she says, well, that's fine. You can cast me to death, but also you should know that I have these. And she shows him the things that she'd given as a down payment. Mm-hmm. And Judah makes a really interesting comment. He says, surely Tamar was more righteous than I. Mm-hmm. Which is a massive statement in that culture, right? The patriarch is like, <laughs> so we, we read that story and we're like, man, this is, this is, this is a really sketchy story. Tamar is actually legally getting what she's entitled to. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. She is legally now through some, through some shiciness, of course, but she ends up having a kid by the name of Perez from this union with Judah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, and somewhere we're going to talk about in a little bit, we're going to talk about Ruth. Ruth is actually given a blessing. It says through the offspring, the Lord gives you by the, this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. Mm-hmm. The same Perez who's in the line that followed down to Jesus. Now, I think that's really interesting because we would look at this story and be like, man, this is a messed up situation. And yet, even in the time of Ruth, they look at this as a blessing. Mm-hmm. God fulfilling his promise. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is to caution people that when we talk about love and context, we actually do have to look at the context of the culture we're looking into. Mm-hmm. And their culture isn't wrong. It's just different. Yeah. <laughs> With that said, we do not endorse prostitution. No. Um, Correct. We but... do not endorse prostitution, nor do we we do the practice mm-hmm. where if somebody dies, their their brother should go. Don't, and, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's a different culture. Like women still have, uh, are able to buy and sell property, like a tons of things. So it doesn't necessarily apply to us. Yeah. But understanding their perspective is really important. Mm-hmm. And we're also like, and you have to take in... To consideration too that the size of this culture right now, specifically the total tribes of Israel, is not very big. Right. Yeah, right now. So it's not like uh it's not like if you're living in a big inner city type thing and there's lots of people around, right? Like your way to produce your family and move your land forward is limited. Right. So that's why some of these things were put in place. It's where if your husband dies and the brother steps in. Right and carry helps carry, helps you carry the line on. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. It's just because they're actually it was a small culture mm-hmm. at this time. Right, and we got to keep that in mind. Yep. I remember last week you were talking about Vashti. Yeah. And her, no, I'm not going to show up. Yeah. I see a lot of Vashti and Tamar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is like, listen, if you're not going to do this, I'm going to take I'm going to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, she not only gets the child, but she also plans ahead so that. Judah's kind of caught between a uh, a rock and a hard place. Yeah. In the situation, he's like, 
Ooh, yeah, I can't weasel my way out of this one. I yes. can just own up to what happened. Exactly. Exactly. We see right away in the line of Jesus is, is that these people who stick out like sore thumbs, <laughs> they're not necessarily, I don't want to say unrighteous people, because I don't, I don't think in this case, Tamar was more righteous than Judah, no. the lion of Judah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a awkward, weird story yeah. that is probably one of those ones you don't want to bring up at Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. right? Hey, remember when Tamar tricked? Yeah, like this isn't something that comes up, you know. <laughs> and uh, remember when great grandma, you know. Mm-hmm. And yet, this is in the in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah, right. And she's a she's a woman. She's mm-hmm. a foreigner, mm-hmm. but yet she is more righteous than the tribe of Judah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in. Yeah. yeah. Which brings us to our next contender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is Rahab? Rahab. <sighs> whose mother was Rahab. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, Rahab was a prostitute. Like, mm-hmm. Tamar pretended to be a prostitute, but Rahab actually was a prostitute. Definitely. Shelby, how much do you know about Rahab? I don't know too much. She she was a prostitute. She was a foreigner. She was a Canaanite. Mm-hmm. She's in the land that Joshua's going in to conquer. She's the land, Joshua, and she helps she helps save them and and holds them in her in her households. So her name means wide. I don't really know what to do with that. Honestly, it may come up at a at a at another juncture in, mm-hmm. in if someone scripture is listening notes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Send it send it send it in. Well, some sometimes these things show up later and you're like, you're like, oh, oh, because mm-hmm. you're talking about Rahab and then you're talking about wide. And yeah. you know, like that makes a lot of what sense because Rahab means yeah. wide. Mm-hmm. You know, but I don't really have anything with that. Yeah. It's more of like just a little tidbit for our listeners. <laughs> so it's interesting though that she's not an Israelite and she is actually what Tamar was accused of being. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But she lies, so the two two spies go in, and she lies about where they are Yep. in order to get freedom, uh, to get them to freedom, which reminds me of a lot of the Hebrew midwives, mm-hmm. right? They lie to Pharaoh about, yeah. huh, we were running down there, and those babies just popping out before we can get there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, man, those those Hebrew women, they're stu- mm-hmm. you are sturdy. Mm-hmm. She asks them to have kindness on her and her family because she sees what God is doing, mm-hmm. okay? Now, she partners with God. She partners with God's people because she sees that God is working through these people and you're not going to be able to stop them. And she's like, I'm going to work with you, but please have grace on us. Mm. And they see and respond. They see and respond to her seeing what God is doing. Mm. Right. And now she's in the very line of Jesus. Right. right? A foreigner, once again, in the line of Jesus. In fact, she's referenced multiple times in the New Testament, once in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about her faith. Right. Right. She has to be like basically turn her back on everything mm-hmm. that she's familiar with because she sees God working. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so Canaanite culture too, if you were harboring spies and you were caught lying about it, you'd most likely be put to death. Mm-hmm. Like that was the typical punishment for it at the time. The other interesting thing about this is she asked for protection and it says that they were lowered out of a window on the wall, mm-hmm. right? So it actually implies that her house was on the wall, mm-hmm. right? And so then when they actually, when Israel came in and through the power of God brought down the walls of Jericho, her house was unharmed. Mm-hmm. Like oh. there's a, there's actually like a miracle component that goes wow. into this right. yeah. of of Rahab with concerning Rahab's faithfulness. And it wasn't actually just Rahab, it's all of her family. Family, yeah. yep. All of her family is blessed because of her faithfulness. Mm. Now it is interesting, like we don't see how everybody else felt about, about, about the Israelites coming through, Mm-mm. but we know that they're spared. Right. 
because of Rahab's faithfulness. Right. And so she has to go and she has to turn from everything in order yeah. to trust. She says, I see what God is doing and it's too powerful for us to oppose. I have to join in. Mm. And, but she has to turn away from everything. Right. Just Which, everything. Yes. By the way, if you're a person who follows Jesus and your entire family does something else, that's you, right? But your ability to turn might just save your entire family. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know? She's also referenced, by the way, in the book of James, which we will talk about her a little bit there, mm-hmm. but about how she doesn't just have faith. She actually puts her faith in action. Yep. Yeah. More, so like yep. faith that doesn't prompt you to do something isn't faith. Mm. I'm going to say that again because we got uh, Captain Shelby from the Salvation Army doing good things in the world, mm-hmm. right? Faith that doesn't prompt you to actually do something isn't really mm-hmm. faith. Right. It's It's only when faith is exercised that you actually see intellectually what you believe coming out experientially. Right. Mm-hmm. We we have talked about it in the podcast before. Orthodoxy is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't affect your orthopraxy, mm-hmm. what you do, right. then it's kind of pointless. Yeah, that's the mm-hmm. point. Yeah. If you don't believe that, go read the book of James. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. By the way, I was actually looking through these and the way we're, I'm like, man, a lot of our stuff is connecting with itself mm-hmm. without us even meaning it to. We just had a bunch of series that we thought would be good for us to do. God does cool things, mm. you know? Are you in James right now for your sermon? No, no. We're, we have a mini series on the podcast coming up later in the book of James. There you go. We're going to do like six, six weeks of the book of James. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. Rahab shows him in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. In the hall of faith. In the hall of faith. Up there with Abraham and yep. all of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, oh, I got to tell stories about people who had extraordinary faith. So I have Abraham. Rahab, and like somebody's probably reading that, they're All like, these things they're like Rahab, like the other. Yeah. Well, if you were, because if you were a Jewish reader at the time reading that letter, you'd have been like, oh, yeah, Abraham, Moses, yeah, yeah. Rahab. Oh, Rahab? Okay. Like, Isn't that like a chapter and a half? Yeah. yeah. Like, they would be like, oh, okay. That, like, it could have been like, interesting choice. Yeah. Um, but, but she is someone who turned her back on everything. Yep. Yeah. To serve the Lord. Right. And, Another another thing that I there's a real practical implication here too with Rahab. She didn't immediately quit her lifestyle when she said yes to God. I think what happens a lot of times is we get people who say yes to Jesus and then we're like, all right, boom, here's all the things you need to quit right now. Right. Right. When it's when in reality, when we do that, what we're doing is we're taking it into our own hands mm-hmm. to say, this is, I'm going to control the situation. And we're like, okay, do you think God's not capable mm. of doing the transformational work in their lives? Mm. If someone encounters Jesus and doesn't know that their lifestyle is sinful, right? But they're like, I need Jesus. Right. Right. The Lord's going to work those things out. We're right. called to walk alongside him. Yeah. Jackie Hill Perry, I'm going to throw a book recommendation out there, has a book called Gay Girl, Good God, about her, about God working through her life to bring her to faith. Mm. And one of the things she says in that book, which I think is, it should give people pause, is she said, there are a lot of people who I believe in the church, had I not been homosexual, they would have been okay with me. And she's like, but I would have still just been as, just as lost straight as I was gay. Mm-hmm. And so the issue was I was not encountering Jesus. And when I encountered Jesus, he taught me how to leave things behind. Right. Yeah. So you were, a lot of times we're like, hey, we need to treat the symptom. The symptom is not the problem. Right. The cause is they don't know Jesus. Yeah. So our job is to represent Jesus, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. And connect them with, with the living water. And yeah. as First John says, if we walk in the light, 
as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ purifies us from all night righteousness. Right. So what's the reality is when we walk in the light, we're not always purified. No. We're purified during our walk. Right. Was that John or DC talk? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. sorry. There, if there's any. That's my favorite one. <laughs> it's so good. We also just showed our age right there, everyone. Yeah. You're welcome. Or like DC uh, talk. What is that? Oh, can we sing it or do we have to like. Well, I'll cut, I'll cut you singing it. But oh, it's my favorite DC talk song. Mac wouldn't mind. Toby Mac. Well, I should get him on the podcast. But the the purpose in First John is that it's it's actually the walk with Jesus that purifies us. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so. Please don't miss here what we're saying. We're not saying continuing sinning is fine. Mm-mm. We're saying that we trust God to work out these things in your life. Mm-hmm. It's a and daily that, surrender. And also, as we're speaking into people, we're doing it through the through the connection of relationship, mm-hmm. not through the justification of speaking truth and love. Oof, boy, is that a grating phrase in my ears? Did you did you say love in quotation marks? Love. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, we've talked about speaking truth and love in Ephesians, how like Paul himself says, you're in regular relationship. And then in that relationship, you speak truth and love. Mm-hmm. That's the context of that verse. Yeah. So if you're going to speak into somebody's life, make sure you got the relationship to do it. Right. And you're doing it for their betterment, not because you're annoyed with something. Yeah. So I, I do love that, though, because like we don't know when Rahab stopped being a prostitute. Mm. It doesn't. No. It doesn't actually specify. We do know. We do know at some point she has a kid who ends up in the light of Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So like, there's actually nothing in Scripture that states that she stopped. Correct. And, and that's not saying she didn't. Mm. I'm just saying that there's actually nothing in Scripture that actually states she stopped that lifestyle. But yeah, my my whole point with it was that like, she didn't see like, oh, God's moving in a powerful way, and then like stopped everything in her life. Right. Mm-hmm. She noticed that God was moving. That she that that he was greater than the life that she had. Right. And she stepped out in faith to align her life with it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And God honored that and brought yeah. it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I I think that's all good. Yeah. Whose mother was Ruth? Book mm-hmm. of Ruth, by the way, is a great, great book. Yes. Um, I'm going to recommend a short uh, mini series on this. It's done by Walking the Text, Brad Gray. They they go through Ruth chapter by chapter, and they mm-hmm. and they have some really good conversation. And really they, good. Mm-hmm. you may not love everything they have to say, but I think that they do a really good job of capturing the heart of Ruth. Mm-hmm. But once again, who is Ruth? So, Ruth is a Moabite. Mm-hmm. So first off, you have a foreigner, right. right? Mentioned here, again, like this. This actually ties back into that that God is for all nations, right? Mm. Right. The fact that we're having foreigners mentioned in a lineage. Yeah, but Moabites are tricky even beyond that because they of Deuteronomy are. 23. They are, right? So incidentally, if, you are, if you're if you not like, whoa, what's Deuteronomy? <laughs> it says that Moabites aren't allowed into the assembly of the people, even to the 10th generation. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Now this goes back to back to uh, Lot mm-hmm. with the tribes that come out. Mm-hmm. And the incestuous relationship with Lot and his daughters, mm-hmm. you end up with some really messed up tribes and they're cut off. Right. So, yeah, so you have Moabites not allowed in the assembly, right? But yet Ruth makes it into the lineage of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, so like that is, again, just echoing that God is for all peoples. Mm-hmm. For all peoples, all people groups, even the ones that are initially in Deuteronomy are like, hey, you're not allowed in. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and last week we talked about Josiah and how his his faithfulness turns like an entire generation for 40 years. Right. Once again, here we have Ruth, a Moabitess, mm. being welcomed into the assembly because she's somebody of noble character. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Right. So now, yeah, we have to emphasize daughter-in-law. Yes. Because she had two sons and a couple daughter-in-laws. And then when her sons died, here is Naomi left all by herself. Mm -hmm. No inheritance. Mm-hmm. No one to take care of her, any of that. Her her daughter-in-laws had no obligation to stay with her whatsoever. Right. Like, they actually had 100% an obligation to actually go back to their hometown. Right. And their home communities and try to sire, get get married again, sire her family there, mm-hmm. little, little type of thing. Right. Um, and Ruth is like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay with you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Where you go, I'll go. I love that first. Please stay or stay. Mm-hmm. Who uh, where you who you like the God that you yeah. follow will be my God and your mm-hmm. people will be my people right mm-hmm. and the uh, and that part is actually a really interesting thing is because that line in in the ver- in the Bible right there that says the God that you follow I will follow right implies that Ruth wasn't following God right yeah. she was just someone of noble character mm-hmm. who was recognized that her mother in law had no means of taking care of herself and that she was going to help with that right another one who like Rahab gives up her way of life mm-hmm. to follow after God and sees him moving. Right. And it's, and it's not exactly like it just gets easy either. No. Because she goes and she's like, so if you're familiar with Levitical law, you know that they don't cut the ends of their field. Mm-hmm. Right. And that they don't come back and they don't do a second pass through their field because what they do is they let the poor, the widow, the orphan come through and pick the what's left over right. for the food. Yeah. Like this is making sure that the people who don't have are always able to be able to be taken care of. Right. And so Ruth is doing that. Mm-hmm. And she catches the eyes of a guy named Boaz. Hey, Boaz. Mm-hmm. 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 And he's like, well, tell you what, don't go to somebody else's field. I want you to stay with me. Right. And then Boaz starts doing things like, he's like, listen, if you drop a, you know, drop some stuff once in a while, <laughs> it's okay. Like, don't cut. Don't cut this. Like, let's just let Ruth go in there and pick up. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Naomi's like, "Why do you have so much wheat? <laughs> like, what? What in the world is happening? Like, like I understand. Like, and she's, she's like, some something's going on here. Uh-huh. And so then they, she hatches this thing where she's like, you know, he is actually your kinsman redeemer. Which briefly we need to talk about kinsman redeemer. Right. Mm-hmm. The so if somebody is is orphaned out there or widowed, the closest relative can come and marry the person and bring them into their household mm-hmm. so that they're not being left alone and that so that their tribe can continue to go. Right. Right. That, that's what a kinsman redeemer is. Very similar to what we talked about with like Tamar, mm-hmm. in a very similar situation, but it actually has a name at this point. Right. When she's having this conversation with Boaz, and we're not going to get into that, I think that you should check out that mini series if you really want to get into the story. Mm-hmm. He remarks that she is known, known. Mm-hmm. As a woman of noble character. So not only does he call her a woman of noble character. She's known. She's she's known known throughout the area as a woman of noble character. Mm -hmm. This widow, this Moabite, Mm -hmm. this woman Mm -hmm. is known for her noble character. Like of everything she could be known for, she's known for her noble character. Mm. And there's a lot that she could be known of, known for. And there's a lot of implications on what, there's a lot of assumptions on what she would be like mm-hmm. simply by the fact of her being a Moabite. Right. And so you have Boaz who's looking beyond that. Mm-hmm. Right. So Boaz steps in and he becomes the kinsman redeemer. Then he brings her into his household. And the story is so good. Mm-hmm. And we talked about earlier with Tamar. She receives the blessing of Tamar. And not unlike Tamar mm-hmm. is actually included in the lineage of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Now, as opposed to Rahab and Tamar, like this story is is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Except you're like, so why why would this be similar? Well, because she is a Moabitess, right? Like you, I guarantee you, them reading in in the story, and they're like Ruth, the Moabite, mm. Moabite in in the lineage of of Messiah. Mm. And for for those who are listening, watching, and are like, okay, I need to learn more about about what it meant to be a Moabite in that day and age. Just there's lots of research on it. Go do some reading, and I think I think Foreman's got some good stuff on that too. Yeah, alephbeta.org. Yeah, um, he he tends to focus more Jewish in on Torah, but on Torah specifically. But you're you're gonna he's gonna have some really good stuff as well. Yeah, nice. But Ruth is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Ruth is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. One more piece I'm going to give you guys that I think is really a good thing to do in the book of Ruth. We've I've kind of talked about names a little bit, but actually go through the names of the places and the people in the book of Ruth. The book starts out with, there's famine in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. Mm-hmm. There's famine in the house of bread. How ironic. Hmm. I wonder if that's setting a precedent for what's about to happen in the story. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's really bad when there's famine in the house of bread. You know, true. Of all the carbs, bread is my favorite. <laughs> so the next next person on the list here, as the text says, whose mother was Uriah's wife. Mm. Now we all know this as Bathsheba, right. uh-huh. and so we this goes back to the story of King David, mm. where he sees Bathsheba taking a bath, and then he's like, he's like, all right. He's like, I know what I'm going to do now. Yeah. And so then- he... When he's supposed to be at war, mm-hmm. in the times when King goes to war, right. David yep. was hanging out on his patio. Right. Mm-hmm. Patio staring at the neighbor who's being invaded yeah. on the roof. His priorities are right. a little misguided. So, so he then takes Bathsheba. Right. Right. And like, what? first he gets pregnant. Yeah. And then he tries to get Uriah to lay with her. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, and there's there's some conversation about does Uriah actually know that David has committed this? Mm-hmm. Is he calling out the injustice or not? Yeah. There's some conversation about that. Yeah. But yeah, essentially, he, after he doesn't lay with her, he's like, okay, I got to get rid of him. There's some trickery. Mm-hmm. And so essentially commits yeah. murder on him through military positioning. Right. Yeah. yeah. Political yeah. positioning. Like, yeah. And so- one of the things about Bathsheba is all of this is going on, and you can't say that she doesn't have a level of complacency in this. Mm. Sure. Right? I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying- We are not going to put the onus on her. No. But we are going to put complicitness in yeah. here. Yeah. All right? There's got to be some- There's a level of compli- complicitness in there. Wow, that was that was really hard to say right I know. Now. Well, the, the onus is definitely on David. Yes. Like, David is the instigator. Mm-hmm. He's the one in the authority. He's the one abusing relationships. Yeah. He's right. the one committing murder. Mm-hmm. Right, like so, the onus is definitely on uh, David, but there's also no record of Bathsheba speaking up. Correct. No, she didn't. She didn't Vashti it. Mm-hmm. She didn't. She didn't, <laughs> no. she didn't Tamar it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So there's no record of her actually speaking up. Yeah. And so, with this said, this is just kind of one of those stories again that you're like, man, this seems like a very messed up situation. Yeah. But we also know, we you also have to consider too, and we spoke about this earlier. Off, off camera. We don't speak off camera. What are you talking about? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you're ruining the illusion. Sorry, something that we is, exist <laughs> only here. Anyway, <laughs> King David is propositioning Bathsheba, a woman, mm-hmm. a married woman. Mm-hmm. So while she does have a level of complicitness, as you said, 
we also have to consider her position in society. And if she had refused King David's propositions, what would have been the outcome? And maybe she felt Mm -hmm. her hand was forced at some point that she Mm -hmm. couldn't say no to him. Right. Typically, uh, I'm going to always fall on the side of whoever has the authority in the situation shouldn't abuse it. Yeah. Absolutely. And they're they're going to re- be the one who receives the the brunt of the, And he does. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And now it's unfortunate, of course, like the the child that they actually conceive ends up dying. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It does show the heart of David that he he laments and he repents and, and mm-hmm. all these different things. Right. But when the child dies, he actually gets up and washes his face and like they're like, oh, what's going on? And he's like, well, while the child was still living, there was a chance that God would relent. Mm-hmm. It shows his faithfulness in, in God's promise, even in the midst of that. Right. Mm-hmm. It is really interesting that if you read First and Second Kings and you read First and Second Chronicles, now First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel, written almost like they're happen, like they're being written as the things are happening. Right, right. Chronicles is at the end of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. We put Malachi there now, but in the Hebrew Bible, the Chronicles are at the end. It's written from a later perspective, looking back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chronicles doesn't even mention Bathsheba. Mm. Not not this this thing. Like it, it's a pivotal point in the Book of Kings of what happens in David's reign. But it's interesting that Chronicles actually points it to the point where David starts trusting in his might and not in God's, mm-hmm. right? Bathsheba, though, is is in the middle of the situation, and she's caught up in a situation which is basically a lose-lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you have to say no to a king who is in charge, uh, who is who is literally known for killing tens of thousands of Philistines, mm-hmm. right? Giants. Giants. Mm-hmm. He's a right? giant slayer. He's a giant slayer. <laughs> like this, this is the guy who, when he wanted, when he w- was getting married to Saul's daughter, was like, oh, you need to bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins. He's like, how about 200? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is a weird story in and of itself. But, but this is, this is who David is. You know I mean, yeah. he's, 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 he's known for his mighty men. Like they're giant slayers. They, they lay waste to armies. And how do you, how do you say no right. to someone like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that God has is blessing him because God has walked with him through all these different things, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But there's also a prescription in Torah for her to do that. Mm-hmm. We don't want we don't want to ignore that. But I would really caution my listeners to take grace with Bathsheba during this whole situation mm-hmm. because I think that's the way we're meant to read it. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like I definitely think so. I still think like there is still a level of buying that Bathsheba had. Absolutely. Uh, but I'm not. But like with that said, most of it's on David. Yeah. Yep. Right. And and I'm going to have grace with Bathsheba 100% in this situation because like it is it is 100% a lose-lose for her. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I disagree with you. I My concern is that somebody could take what we said and carry it too far with Bathsheba and be like, yeah. well, it's her fault. Yeah. No. Well, no. Being complicit with something and it being your fault are different things. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the story ends up being a pretty big red mark on the life of David, right? Mm-hmm. He was considered, you know, like the gold standard of kings. And we're going to be talking about in, in, in our covenant series about the Davidic covenant, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is a really important covenant when it comes to Messiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is, is one of those ones where it's a really big deal. Now, Bathsheba is also the mother of another child who's really important in the mm-hmm. Bible by the name of Solomon, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Who is also a pretty interesting person and, and does some questionable things and does some really good things. True. Right? Yeah. 
that that kind of tends to be. I guess he's not dissimilar from his father in that way. No, right? no, no. It's a learned, <laughs> learned thing. But so Bathsheba does show up one other time in the in the story where David is old and he's getting ready to die, mm-hmm. and she comes to him and she's like, "Hey, you need to let people know that like Solomon is going to be king." Yeah, and so like kind of like forces his hand. Suddenly she speaks up, right? You know. And she's like, hey, you need to make sure that people know that Solomon's going to be king because technically he's not your firstborn. Right. You know, but that is your intention. And so uh, David then says that Solomon is actually who God is going to use right. to be king next. Right. For all of Solomon's issues, and there's a lot there's a lot of good in his life, mm-hmm. too. Right? Absolutely. I think one of the things with this story is, you know, Uriah and, and uh, Bathsheba seem to be Israelites. Yes. And so this is actually now, now instead of being marked for like, what you are, you're actually being marked for what you did, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This situation, and you're seeing it's not just not where you come from; it's also what you did. Like God is able to redeem all of these and put you into the land of Jesus. Yeah, right. I actually love that these four stories come up as part of the land of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the last one that comes up is this lady by the name of Mary, the mother of Jesus. You might have heard of her. Um, also, by the name, by the way, Mary is a Greek translation, but her Hebrew name would have actually been Miriam. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about her more next week, right? Talking about like Jesus and women in his life. I do think it's really important to actually note that her name is Miriam because Jesus is often positioned as the second Moses and Jesus's mother was Mary or Miriam. Right. Moses's sister was Miriam, Mm -hmm. who also was responsible for him getting connected with his mother and like all these different things in his life, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And not unlike Miriam in the the Old Testament, Jesus is sometimes going to have to tell his mother like, no, that's not what we're doing. Right. Where, where you're missing the point, but a lot of times she's going to be a really pivotal uh, figure in Jesus's life. Right. I I find Mary to be a, uh, one of the most interesting parts of this of this genealogy because one of the things we forget about Mary in an honor shame culture is that regardless of the fact that an angel told her that it was from the Holy Spirit, hmm. nobody else would have believed her. Mm-hmm. Oh, Joseph did. Not. Yeah, but nobody else believed her. Her entire life. Well, Joseph did after intervention from God. Yeah. True. He didn't believe initially. Yeah. Yeah. But their entire life, they are going to walk with the shame mm-hmm. of be of having a child out of wedlock. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's going to be conversation about like, well, Joseph didn't even know about the kid. So is it his? Mm-hmm. She get pregnant with it. Like, does that kid even belong to Joseph? Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be a conversation all their life. And in an honor shame culture, she carried that her entire life. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we we look now and we're like, oh man, she's such a courageous figure. She walked thirty plus years with that shame, mm. with no redemption. Right. Now her redemption came in heaven. Right. It comes in like generations of people understanding Messiah. Mm-hmm. But like she walked with that shame. Right. She did what was right. She obeyed God, and she had to walk with shame. And by the way, I want to pause there and talk about women in ministry today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there are a lot of women who are serving God today Mm. and are being attacked because of what they do. Mm. And you may have to walk with your shame a long time, but God is bringing vindication. Amen. Mm -hmm. And he will continue to bring vindication. Mm. Just be faithful with what God has put in front of you. Mm. Mm -hmm. And he'll take care of the rest. Right. Mm -hmm. Like her willingness to lay down her own life for the sake of God's commands, you know? And, and. She not only that, like, even when she's disagreeing with Jesus, she still shows up in his ministry all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's at the wedding in Cana. She's messaging him when, when, when things get kind of weird. Yeah. He's like, she's like, hey, 
what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, she's there at his crucifixion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Like she does not leave him. She is with him the entire time. Right. Mm-hmm. And from every indication of church history, she's still serving after Jesus's resurrection. Right. Continuing to continue on and, and help the church understand like who Jesus was. Right. Mm-hmm. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. And that's faithfulness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you are someone who's listening and you're married to a woman in ministry, yeah, look at the life of Joseph. Yep. Like how he was like, I know this is going to be a shameful thing, mm-hmm. or you might be experiencing shame, but I'm going to walk with you. Mm-hmm. Right. Joseph, there's actually surprisingly little, like said on Joseph, mm-hmm. not in the Bible. But one thing that has always stood out to me about his life is that he was always by Mary's side. Mm. Right. Like he was, he was always by Mary's side, always by Jesus's side. Mm-hmm. At least the times I was mentioned, he was in support of Mary mm. and the call that the Lord put on Mary's life. Mm. Right. Yeah. He could, he could have ran away. He could have said no. He could have opted out of that shame. Mm-hmm. Right. But he didn't because the Lord called him to it and he was faithful and obedient. Right. Right. Being the support can be tough too. Be their advocate. Be their advocate. Be yeah. there for them. Yeah. yeah. And and so for those who are listening and who are like, okay, can women serve in ministry leadership roles? Right. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But there's far more in scripture that talks about that in a positive way than a negative way. Right. In a in a society where they wouldn't have talked about women serving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oftentimes, what we get is we get that First Timothy two kind of yeah. thrown out there. And which we will talk about. It's coming up in a, in a future episode. We we will talk about that. We'll, we'll dive more in depth on that. The one thing I'll say right now is the verses prior to Paul saying women need to be silent is him saying men, you need to speak up. Mm. So when we're going to dive more into that, we're just going to let that sit as a teaser for now. But just if you are thinking like, man, should women be pastors? The answer is absolutely yes. God's given God's given women voices. He's given them callings. It's all throughout scripture, Old Testament, all the way through new. Jesus had women disciples, which we'll talk about next which week. Which we'll talk about next week. Mm-hmm. Little teaser. So the answer is yes. And we're and we're gonna keep diving into that. Yeah. What you're actually going to find is that as we've come through the Old Testament, like we have these stories. We obviously didn't get into all the stories. We talk about women on mm-hmm. promise. We talk women leading the Old Testament. Now we talked about these women in the life of Jesus who are right. part of his story. It's actually only going to get quicker as we get into the New Testament because Jesus taking on disciples and then like the, the people who are going and spreading the word, Paul's disciples, his people who went out when we started talking about all the people in the New Testament. And then right. when we start getting into church history, your mind's about to get blown on how much God is doing through women throughout history. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, I want to say, every woman shouldn't be a pastor just like every man shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Right. You are qualified not on your gender, but on the calling from God. Right. Right? That's the that's the one we want to come back to over and go over again. Right. You are qualified by your call, not by your gender. Right. Amen. And you and you are called Maybe you're not called to be a pastor, but you're called to be a leader. You're called to be an evangelist. You're called to be a teacher. Whatever God is calling and to serve the kingdom of God, yeah. be faithful. Be mm-hmm. faithful that and yeah. and listen yeah. and follow through. So, Shelby, because we have you here. Yeah. Captain Shelby, because <laughs> we have you here. I love calling you Captain. Do you have anything that you would just say as an encouragement for women who are working in ministry now? I never, 
imagined that this is where I would be in my life. Uh, you know, when I grew up, I was, when I went to college, I was going to be a music teacher and work in the schools and and do this. I I never thought that I was going to be in ministry in the way that I'm in ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, I had youth group. I participated in music groups. I grew up in the church. And but I never saw myself as a pastor or never, never really thought about being being a pastor. And it wasn't until I came to the Salvation Army when I was in college that I saw these prominent women speaking with authority, speaking with humbleness on the pulpit. And and I had people speak into my life who discipled me and who encouraged me along the way that it that helped to cultivate this, that helped me understand how to listen to um, the voice of God. And it it wasn't until just my backstory, it wasn't until I was serving in I was serving in the Eastern Europe with the Salvation Army. And there is one moment when I was praying with someone that I heard audibly the voice of God telling me that this is what he wanted me to do with the rest of my life. And it doesn't happen often, but when it does, holy cow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like I I can't say that I've heard audibly the voice of God a lot of times in my life, but that is the one time that I can be assured that he was speaking to me. And, you know, when I eventually was obedient because I had my Jonah moment, I had my Moses moment after that saying, no, 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 God, you, you called the wrong person. You've, you've, you've made a mistake. Boy, was I wrong. But when I finally surrendered my plans and my control and my, and obedience to him, man, things started to fall into place. And regardless if you feel God calling you to be a pastor or um, a leader or a teacher or, you know, your gifting is hospitality or whatever, even regardless of ministry, whatever you feel God is calling you to do in your life, be obedient and follow through. There is no greater assurance knowing that you are doing what God has called for you and the will of life. And now I can tell you it hasn't been easy, especially when we moved to Alaska, it has been really, really hard for a number of reasons. But I have sitting here, I have been, I, even through the trials and the tribulations and the hardships, I have never been more certain of God's calling in my life than I am right now. So. Excellent. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's, it's one of those things where you're like, I want you to follow God, whatever he's calling you to be. If, if God is calling you to be a mother, go be a mother. Amen. God's calling you to be a housemaker, be a housemaker. If God's yeah. calling you to be a CEO, be a CEO. Right. Like go where God is calling, mm-hmm. not where you think you should be. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And that that's the big thing is we want to teach people to listen to the voice of God. It actually plays really well into when we get into our next series about following the spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what is the what is the evidence of actually the spirit is like learning to hear and respond to the voice of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we appreciate you being here. Thank you for having uh, me. You dropped five minutes of knowledge right on us at the end, and we love oh. it. We love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, thank you. We, we, we've given you 15. Yeah. After that, we're like, no. <laughs> That's we, your to I was, I was doing a, a presentation for our Rotary, and then we had our district governor here presenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, he's like, how much time did you give me? I gave him 20 minutes, knowing he would take 35. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's like, oh, I think I took too much time. I was like, you did, but I grew up in the in the Southern Baptist Church, mm-hmm. and I know that if you give a pastor five minutes, it takes fifteen. So yeah. I already planned on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so true. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, next week we will be talking about Jesus's ministry and the women who are involved in his ministry. Yeah. You mean? Until next time. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Love and Context. We hope you enjoyed this engaging conversation and gained valuable insights into the powerful message of love within the Bible. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Connect with us by sending us your questions, thoughts, and suggestions to loveandcontext at gmail.com. We greatly appreciate your feedback and ideas for future episodes. Stay connected with us on social media for updates, behind-the-scenes content, and additional resources. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook at Love and Context. Don't forget to hit that follow button to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join our growing community. Thank you for being part of the Love and Context family. Remember, love is at the heart of it all. Until next time, keep seeking wisdom, embracing love, and living out your faith in the context of today's world. And then, like, James will crawl on my lap and he's like, he's like, I don't feel good. Ugh. You actually see, uh, her name means wide, which I don't know what to do with. Wide? Do wide. Like, wide. Huh. So, I don't know, maybe she had, like, a thick base. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's 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 hard oh, to know. Oh, yeah. Like a football player or something like that. I don't know. We're probably going to cut that, just so you know. <laughs> that's a blooper right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> that's a blooper right there. Sometimes, sometimes the words come out of my mouth and I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. Are we soapboxing on women in ministry yet, or are we pausing on that? Go ahead and say it, and then if I don't like it, I'll cut it.